I forgot to say something uh, during that uh, incredibly uh, lengthy announcement time, believe it or not. Um, Almost every single week I hear about churches that have just been kind of ripped apart, like politically during the last two years. And that just has not been true of our church really at all. And and I think there's a couple reasons for it. One is um, you guys are awesome, so let me commend you for that. Um, But also I think we just have, we, we understand here that if Jesus came to ignite a political movement, he would have come as a politician. And if he came to ignite like a medical revolution, he would have come as a doctor. But he came to ignite a spiritual revolution, so he came as a savior, right? And, and this is what he came to do, and this is who he came to be. And I feel like our church understands this, and that's a really, really good thing. So as um, the indoor mask mandates changes, uh, it's tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, I think it changes. As that begins to change, I mean, our community and church, things are going to start to look different. And we, from the very beginning of this thing, um, we've always just kind of had a don't ask, don't say anything, just worship together mentality. Uh, and, and we're going to continue to have that, that you may see uh, people continue to wear masks or, or not wearing masks, and you'll probably have an opinion on that one way or the other. But what we want to say is Jesus came to ignite a spiritual revolution. We're here to worship together, and this is a good thing. Um, and so that's always been our mindset. That's always going to be our mindset. But I know from each of these little shifts in, in philosophy that um, they're hard for, for, our, for our culture, for our people, for just shifts are hard. Um, that it's, uh, uh, th- th- those transitions are difficult. And so as we're entering into a new one here in Illinois, um, Missouri did this like eight months ago. Um, Florida, I don't think ever did it. Um, and so, I, you know, this is just new for Illinois. And it, it's, it's going to be a, a difficult transition, I think, for, for our culture. But the, the, the body of Christ needs to lead out on this, especially when we're here together, that we are here to worship together. Um, and that is the most important thing. So I, w- I meant to say that and, and wanted to get a, a pre-sermon in. So all right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray now. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And um, uh, we just want to pray as we get into um, a little further into the life of Jacob. Uh, I want to pray that um, I would absolutely be out of your way and um, that you would communicate exactly what you want to communicate to us this morning. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Unfortunately, we have a lot of examples of what a breakdown in relationship looks like, right? We can point to a lot of examples of that. We all have divorced friends, right, where where the divorce just did not go well. And at one point, they loved each other and served each other. And now, like, you, like, log on to Facebook, and you're like, oh, my goodness, (laughs) You know, it's, it's absolutely unreal. The gossip sessions are discouraging to you. The slitting of the tires was way over the top, right? All right we all know people that just, the divorce did not go well, right? It, it turned heated. We all have friends that have left their jobs in spectacular fashion, right? And it started out so well. They loved their position. They appreciated their colleagues. They were fulfilled in their work. And a couple bad reviews later, A couple of corrections later, and there's a blow-up, and they stormed out of the office. They set the trash on fire, 
And now they can't even list that company on their resume and they have to keep at least 50 feet from the building at all times per the judge's orders, right? We've all seen it even happen in church. I just made reference to this earlier where someone loved their church and maybe they raved about the preaching, right? Probably not, let's be honest, right? Maybe they raved about the preaching or the worship or the leadership at that church and something happened and now like you can't even mention the name of that church to them without them kind of blowing up. We have lots of examples of what breakdown looks like in relationship. Unfortunately, we have fewer examples of what reconciliation can look like. And I think that's a shame. And I think our culture is getting increasingly bad at this. Here's why it's a shame. Here's what the Bible says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God. Look what it says about God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed unto us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Here's why it's a shame. Our God is a reconciling God. That he saw us in our sin, separated from him, and he went to these extraordinary links so that we could be reconciled back to him. He sent his son, the Bible says, his one and only son, his son whom he loved to die for us so that we could be forgiven. Our sins could be forgiven. And we could know God in this life and in the next. And while that is absolutely theologically spot on, it also changes the way we see the world. This ministry of reconciliation that forgave our sin and brought us back to our Heavenly Father, it changes the way we see our relationships. It changes the way we see our church. It changes the way we see our political foe. It changes the way we see our coworkers. This reconciling work that God has done in his grace and through his grace changes us from the inside out and it changes the way we interact with everyone. So this story that we're gonna to study today is gonna to paint us a picture because we don't have a lot of examples of this. It's gonna paint us a picture of what peace or even reconciliation could look like in our world and in our relationships. And I think as, as we're following Ukraine and Russia, man, we need this, right? Not just the United States. The United States needs it, but the world needs. This is what peace could look like. This is what reconciliation could look like. And where we're at in the story is Jacob. We've been studying his life. The deceiver, the trickster, he tricked his brother and then he tricked his father into uh, getting an inheritance from his brother that it really was for him. And because his brother is so angry with him and intending to kill him, Jacob ends up having to run. He ends up having to leave the promised land and he's been gone from that land now for 20 years. And God comes and tells him it's time to return. Things have broken down between he and his uncle Laban. And he's not had any contact with his brother in 20 years. Not even a conversation. And he wants to know his brother that he's returning to their homeland. And listen, Jacob's motives are not... The thing you need to know about Jacob is Jacob's motives are never fully pure. Right? Sometimes they're like two-thirds pure. <laughs> Right? But they're never fully pure. And as the story unfolds, I think it becomes pretty clear that his motivation in this story is not one of reconciliation. 
His motive is one of self-preservation. Right? And those are different motives, but still, uh, peace and reconciliation is going to ultimately come. And so if we can kind of guard our heart and our mind from just being self-preservationists, right, to maybe reconcilers like the gospel teaches us, Jesus teaches us, I think we can learn from Jacob even in his imperfections. Here's what it says. Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So here's the first thing I want you to see. Jacob initiates contact with Esau. And every good reconciling story starts with this very basic idea. At some point contact is made. Now he makes it through a third party. And I think this is coming from a place of fear that he wants to test the waters. Let's kind of see how Esau responds. But this story starts with a point of contact. And it might seem contradictory to what we studied last week. Remember when things fall apart between Laban and Jacob, God comes to Laban and says, listen, don't say anything. When you find Jacob, don't say anything good or bad. Remember, we're like, well, I understand not saying anything bad, but don't say anything good. Life lesson from your, you know, 40 something year old pastor. Sometimes it's better to say nothing at all than to try to say something good. And that's what we learned from, from Jacob. But in this story, we see something different. We see uh, that, that sometimes a point of contact needs to be hap- needs to happen. And I think this can be tricky to learn and it's hard, but is this a circumstance where I should say nothing at all, nothing good or bad? Or is this a circumstance where I should make contact? The other thing I would say is making contact with someone, as all of you in this room know, is not a guarantee that peace will come. They might not receive it well. It might anger them. They might not be interested in peace at all. That's very much how this story could have gone. Yet here's the other thing I know. Not a single reconciliation story happens. Not a single one happens without contact being made. Not a single one. It's the first step. And on one hand, I think social media has made this harder, right? That I think what's happening in our culture is that we have fallen into this temptation of we travel in tribes of like-mindedness. In other words, people that think like me, people that agree with me, people that have my same point of view, those are the people I like to hang with. And social media has kind of created all of these tribes. And what can happen is if I see a post I don't like or I see a point of view I don't like or I see another perspective, what we do is we unfriend, we block, we hide the post, we separate ourselves from opposing thoughts. And peace is really hard. Reconciliation is really hard when all we do is block, 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 block. So I just want to be around people that think like me. I want to be around people that have my perspective. I want to be around people that agree with me. On the other hand, I would say, if I'm honest, on one hand, digital age has made it harder. Social media has made it harder. On the other hand, boy, it's pretty easy to make contact today if you want to, right? 
There was a time where you would have to do a face-to-face or a letter or a telephone conversation or send it off with a carrier pigeon and hope for the best, right? But now we have texting and instant messaging and all of these avenues available to us to make contact. And that can be seen as a positive thing or a negative thing. But either way you see it, it's true. And you might find yourself feeling like Jacob in this text. The idea of this has you in your, your stomach in pits. Right? This person you've been in conflict with for maybe 20 years, like Jacob, the idea of making contact with them, it is terrifying to you. And you're not afraid of your physical safety like Jacob was. Uh, you're, you're not afraid of that. It's more, what are they going to say? How are they going to react? It's been five years. It's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. How on earth is this going to go? And here's what I would say to you. This might not be the exact next step for you. It might not be. But what I would say to you is pray. Seek godly counsel. Seek wisdom to know what God is calling you to do. Because one thing I learned about these kind of uh, reconciliation sermons is that everybody has a story. And everybody has a perspective and everybody's story is different. And so we need God to tell us what to do. You don't need Steve to tell you what to do. Who am I? Right? You need God to tell you what to do. So pray. Seek godly counsel and ask God if this is what he is calling you to do in your unique circumstance. The story continues. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you with 400 men with him. <laughs> huh. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks of herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other that is left may escape. I'm going to diversify my portfolio. Right? And if the economy goes south, I'll still have my mutual funds, right? Jacob's fear is happening. I want to dissect his fear just for a little bit because I think this is really important for us to see. His fear is being fueled by the worst assumption about his brother. And I think this is why not having contact is, is sometimes causal of this, that he hasn't talked to his brother in 20 years, and he is absolutely convinced that when he sees his brother, they're going to pick up where they left off 20 years ago. And his brother 20 years ago wanted to kill him. His brother 20 years ago, he'd been robbed by, uh, by Jacob, and Esau 20 years ago wanted to kill his brother. But here's what I would say to you. 20 years ago is a long time. Did you know that 20 years ago, was 2002. Is it me? Is it me or is 20 years ago be 1980? It's not. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you lived in a different house in 2002 than you do now? How many of you have a different job right now than you did in 2002? How many of you added children since 2002? Right? Jacob forgets something really important here. And I want us to be, remember it as well. In that 20 years, he has changed and he has grown. It's been really slow. We've been walking with him, but he's changed and he's grown. And here's what he's forgotten. Esau has changed and grown as well. And your conflict might not go back 20 years. It might go back 10, 5, or even 1. But even a year ago, uh, you've probably changed in some dra dramatic ways. I bet the person you're in conflict with, I bet they've changed as well. Here's my point. Be careful about just assuming the worst. In a person, in a conflict going back 5, 10, 15, 20 years, be careful about assuming the worst and be careful about freezing people in time. Have you ever had this experience where um, 
that, that you see someone that you haven't seen in 20 years ago, and the last time you saw them, they were 10, and now they're 30, and you're like, what happened to you? You're not an adult, you're 10, right? And they're like, well, I just, each year I had a birthday, and I got older, and you know, and you're like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Every single year I have a birthday, that's right, right? And, and, but we forget, we freeze people in time, and he says, man, you want to be really careful about doing that. Because people grow and they change and they evolve. You do, they do, we all do. So the other thing I would say is part of it is fueled. His fear is fueled by this expectation that Esau hasn't changed. Here's the other thing it's fueled by. And this is going to be tender. And it's okay. I love you. And you love me right now. Um, So it's fueled by the fact that Jacob knows what he's done. And he feels guilty about it. I hate seeing people walk around in guilt and shame. One of the reasons I hate it is because I know that God sent his son, his one and only son whom he loves so that your sins could be forgiven. And in Christ, you are forgiven. And I think it's important that we understand that. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it to. I don't care if you're like Jacob in a lot of ways. In Christ, when you accept Christ, your sins are forgiven. And I think it's important that we understand and receive his grace. Now, in addition to that, though, God in his grace has given us an incredible tool to use when we feel we have wronged someone or sinned against them or hurt them. And here's the tool that he has given us. Repentance. And apologies. Sometimes in Christ we know we are forgiven. But we still walk around with guilt. Because we haven't done this simple step of reach out to the person that we have offended. Or the person we have hurt and apologized. So we received grace from our Heavenly Father, but the guilt and the shame and the regret is still inside of us because we haven't used this very simple tool that God has given us called repentance. And I know it's hard. Believe me how hard, I know how hard this is, but I think a lot of us in this room could experience grace in a way we've never experienced it before if we would first receive the grace of our Heavenly Father poured out to us through Jesus, but also we went to a person that we have wronged, we looked them in the eye, and we said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? What I said was wrong. What I did was wrong. The action I took, it was wrong. And you would experience grace, I think, in a whole new way. That's regardless of their reaction. Because their reaction might be, you know what? No. I don't forgive you. I'll never forgive you. I'm never letting... That may be their reaction. But I'm telling you, just the act of repentance, just the act of apology, will open up God's grace to you in a way that maybe you've never experienced before. Then... Jacob prayed. The story goes on. Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, uh, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers uh, with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And before he meets his brother, before he goes, he prays. 
I think this is such an important element of any reconciliation story, and I love some of the elements of this prayer. First of all, he affirms how good God has been to him. And God has been good to him, right? And I think that when we're arriving at a place of peace and reconciliation, this is the first place we want to start. Before we extend grace to somebody else, we want to arrive in this place where we understand God has been so good to us. God has been so good to me. And so we practice thanksgiving in our prayers. God, thank you specifically for this. God, thank you specifically for this. For all the ways that you've been good to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what this should do is this should prepare our hearts and our minds to extend the kindness that we have received from God to others. That's what this should do. Right? When we practice Thanksgiving as a regular pattern of our life, this should create in us an overflow of Thanksgiving that flows to other people. Now, our culture does not understand this. Some of you, did you, some of you follow kind of the Aaron Rodgers stuff where he kind of laid out in this tweet? He's like, man, I just want to express Thanksgiving to people that have made an impact in my life. And he lays out all these things, and people read this kind of letter of Thanksgiving, and you know what, they, you know what their overwhelming th- first thought was? This guy's mentally ill, right? There is some, what what is wrong with with him? Because we're not used, and I I don't know if his motives are pure. They may not have been. This isn't about Aaron Rodgers because I just, it just occurred to me, I'm probably getting 30 angry emails, but, um, (laughs) but we're not used to Thanksgiving. We're not used to people expressing Thanksgiving, but it should prepare our hearts and our minds. And it will with one caveat that I want you to hold on to for just a minute. Because the next thing Jacob does is he affirms that he's unworthy of the grace God has shown him. Right, this is big for Jacob. And it's important. He says, because here's what can happen. is We can recognize how good God has been to us. But here's what we do in our humanness. And this is just kind of a knee-jerk human reaction. What we can say is, man, God has been good to me, but I kind of deserve it. I kind of deserve it. Good things have happened to me because I'm a good person. And we can begin to buy into this idea that we deserve God's grace. And what what it does to us is we begin to look at our enemy We begin to look at the person that we're in conflict with and we say, you know what? I deserve God's goodness. I deserve God's kindness. They don't. They're a jerk. They're awful. They should be canceled. And on and on it goes. And what it does is it dries up our sense of grace. And if you follow the kind of river back to its to the mouth of the river, what we discover is we have bought into a lie that we deserve all the good things God has done in our life. We deserve his grace, and the Bible would just teach something different. The truth is, we're not worthy of grace. They're not either, but we're not worthy of grace. The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. And you know know how the Bible defines grace? The Bible says grace is undeserved favor. It's undeserved. God and his grace is kind. God in his grace is good. God does good things because he is good, not because we are good. It is all grace. And I need grace, and you need grace, and our world needs grace. It is so important. But our grace will only flow from God through us to other people when we understand we are not deserving of it. Good things have not happened to us through Jesus because we're good. Good things have happened to us through Jesus because Jesus is good. And that really is good news. So next thing uh, Jacob does is he affirms he's afraid in the prayer. 
It's a nerve-wracking situation for our boy Jacob. Last he knew, his brother wanted him dead. He's assuming he still does. And here's what he does. He gives it to God. Anyone felt afraid this week? The greatest thing you can do with your fears is give them to God. And something supernatural begins to happen. It frees me up from being controlled by my fear when I give it to God. It frees me up from being controlled by it. And it frees me up to do the right thing. The thing God is calling me to do. So fear is going to try to keep me from following God's path and doing the right thing. Uh, When I give it to God and let him have it, all of a sudden I'm freed up to, to do the right thing. To offer grace. To offer forgiveness. To offer all of that stuff to the person I'm in conflict with. Lastly, this is so Jacob. He reminds God of the promises that he's made. I don't know how to say this theologically, so let me just say it the Steve way. God knows. He made the promises. He doesn't need our boy Jacob going, now God, just in case you forgot, you've made these promises to me. He he doesn't need to do that. Uh, Good old Jacob is still trying to grab and control and manipulate, but God is well aware of the promises that he's made. And you notice that specifically the promises that Jacob wants to make sure God remembers are the fiscal promises. You promised you'd bless me. You promised you'd make me rich. You promised all of this stuff. And Jacob is still struggling with matters of money and wealth and entitlement. And uh, let's uh, get to the last little bit of the story here. All right. He spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Aren't you sad that Valentine's Day is already over? It would have been, you are not going to believe what I got you for Valentine's Day, right? Um, he put them in the care of his servants, each uh, herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going? Who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I am sending uh, on ahead later. When I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Takes the gifts, he's got to receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, and he himself spent the night in the camp. So he chooses a bribe, I mean, a gift uh, for, for Esau. And boy, oh boy, it is an expensive one, right? And I think that what's driving this, obviously, you don't need someone to study the Bible to tell you this, it's fear, it's control, um, that if I give a generous gift, then they have to do what I'm asking them to do and give me what I'm most looking for, which is life. And so I think we want to be aware in gift giving, especially in reconciliation stories, of is my heart pure on this? Am I attempting to be generous or am I attempting to control? Because what I do like about this gift is it's in alignment of repentance. It's in alignment with what Jacob has done to his brother Esau. Jacob had stolen from him. He had taken wealth from him. And so he returns wealth. And so it wouldn't always be the right response, but in this case, 
it is. And I think that generosity is definitely should be used uh, in reconciliation stories, not as a bribe, but true generosity and not just fiscal, but generosity with our words, generosity with our actions. Generosity makes it more likely that reconciliation will happen because it aligns our actions with our desire. Our desire is for grace, undeserved favor, for grace to come into the relationship. And so we demonstrate that desire with generosity. The English translation here might turn you off to Jacob a little bit um, when he says, here's, what, here's my, my thought. He says, I will pacify him. I'm going to put all these cows and camels and all of this stuff. I will pacify him with my generosity, which could be the description of someone who's seeking to control. But the Hebrew word is actually a little bit different. It can mean a change in facial expression. My son, Sam, my 10-year-old, uh, he is our feeler. All right? he's, a, he's a feeling kid. Um, he feels emotionally like zero to 80. He, he's just an emotional kid in that way. So we have learned what facial constructs can look like in a human being, right? Um, I've seen him mad. I know what that expression can look like. I remember the first time he saw Mickey Mouse when he was four years old. Pure joy. I know what that looks like. I know what nervous looks like on him. And you can tell a lot about a person by the expression of their face. I want you to go back 20 years. I want you to think about Esau first being cheated out of his inheritance by his brother Jacob. A lot of money was stolen from that dude before we're too hard on Esau. A lot of money was taken. How would you think Esau's face would have looked toward his brother? If I were to make a guess, I would guess that his jaw was tight. You know, you know how that happens when you're really mad? All of a sudden, you don't even realize how tight your jaw has gotten. His jaw is tight. His eyes have narrowed. His brow is furrowed. And think about how grace could have changed that expression. We're going to see it change in the next couple weeks, two weeks from now. But think about how grace can change the expression of a person. That he goes from this kind of angry um, jaw, furrowed brow, angry filled eyes, and all of a sudden, through grace, the face falls to a relaxed position. Maybe even a smile. Maybe joyful. Maybe there's a smile. That's what grace can do. And I think that our trouble with grace, Jacob's trouble with grace, we don't know Esau's perspective on this. Jacob's trouble with grace and our trouble with grace is we're suspicious of it. We say things like, if I show grace to this person, grace allows them to get away with it. If I show grace to them, grace lets them get away with it, and what they did was wrong. And I would say, no. Grace doesn't allow them to get away with it. Grace trusts in God for judgment. You would say, no, grace robs me of my anger. Grace is going to rob me of my anger. And I would say, yes, that is true. Grace is going to rob you of your anger. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to replace it with joy. Grace says what they did was okay. No. No, grace doesn't say what they did was okay. Grace says what they did was not okay, and I am choosing to not hold it against them anymore. 
That's what grace says. Grace gives up control. Grace gives up manipulation. Grace is freedom. I'm telling you, grace is freedom. And for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know if this was Esau's perspective or not. He was the one wronged here, but we want to hold on to our anger. We want to hold on to our resentment. We talked in Sunday school this morning about it's really like taking a poison pill and expecting it to hurt them. It's not hurting them. It's hurting you. And I'm telling you, if we can embed grace in our hearts and in our minds, through grace, we find freedom. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And right now, I want to pray that your grace would flow freely in this room as we get ready to remember communion. That your grace would flow freely into our hearts and into our minds. But it wouldn't stop there. It would flow through us to other people. And so we would understand how worthy we are of your grace. It is undeserved, unmerited favor that you have shown us. You didn't save us because we're good. You saved us because you're good. And that we would understand that grace and it would change the way we interact with other people and just grace would flow through us to them. And that we would find freedom that we would find freedom and that our lives would be changed because of it. Anybody who is in this room right now, that their jaw is tight when they think about a person and their eyes, their eyebrows are furrowed and their eyes are narrowing. And they're just full of anger when they think about them. Would your grace right now invade that situation and change their facial expression? That their face would relax. Their eyes would relax. Their eyebrow would relax. And a sense of peace and joy would flood over them. And that that peace and joy would flow right through them to that other person. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion uh, right now, and we're going to remember his grace. And I do. What, what I said in that prayer is exactly what I mean, which is my habit when I pray. Um, I like to say what I mean. Um, and uh, that, that right now grace would flow freely in this room, that we would understand we're forgiven. And we're set free. And it's not because of any righteous thing that we have done, but it's because of his grace. And that that would just flow freely in this room and then invade our hearts and our minds and then flow right through us to whatever situation you're thinking of. And I pray that you would have come into this room with one facial expression and you will leave this room with another because that's what grace does. So let's receive communion together and remember and celebrate his grace. And then I'll come back up here and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My son, Sam, and I uh, went to a children's ministry conference over the weekend. 
Uh, and uh, we stopped at a Wendy's because uh, that's one of like five approved foods that he'll eat out. Um, and uh, so we stopped at a Wendy's and the Wendy's, like a lot of Wendy's right now, had uh, the restaurant part closed. He had to go through the drive-through. And there was a guy that pretty clearly wanted to eat in the restaurant. And I don't know where he's been. I feel like it's pretty common knowledge that Wendy's restaurants are closed. Just you have to go through the drive-through. And I, Sam was in the back of the car, but this guy was at their back door pounding on the door, swearing words I didn't even know went together, honestly. And I've been around a lot of swears in my life, but I'm like, I didn't know you could swear. Well, that's interesting. But he's, he, those go together? Yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, he's pounding on the door. And there came a point where he just kind of turned around. And he wasn't like looking at me, but I saw his face and just enraged. And I prayed for him because I thought it was a microcosm of where our culture is. And I was like, dude, you're awfully mad about a biggie menu, first of all. Um, you're, you're awfully mad about a cheeseburger. And it was a microcosm, and I w- was thinking about this message because this had been on my mind about how grace changes our facial expressions. So I want you to receive grace today. Wherever you're at and, and whatever you're going through, I want you to receive grace today. And I pray that whatever is going on in our culture that has us so angry, that it wouldn't be true of you and it wouldn't be true of me because of grace. And that our faces, our physical faces would look different. They'd be joyful, peaceful, content. And when you can't get your double cheeseburger with a large fry in the restaurant, you'll be at peace with that instead of banging on the door because you will be mortified when you turn around and you're like, Hey, pastor, um, you'll be mortified. I promise you that. I've had that happen before, actually. Someone's absolutely losing their turn. Oh, hey, Steve, hi. I'm like, ah, preaching about you Sunday. All right. Um, and so we want, we want our facial expression to be different because of grace. And that's my prayer for you. And that's my prayer for me. We stand. Let's sing one last song.